Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to begin a series called Love Handles and um, Getting to Grip on Love and Marriage. And this is what I know. My mom and dad was married over 66 years. Carrie's mom and dad over 63 uh, years. Carrie and I this year will be married uh, 45 years. Um, the just stuff you learn. The longer you're married, the more you learn. And, and it never quits. Once you think you got it figured out, a curveball's coming your way. Once you think she's got you figured out, you, you're going to mess it up. And once you think you've got her figured out, no way, baby. That, that ain't happening. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful today for your love and your amazing grace to us. Speak to our hearts. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, let's talk about love and marriage. Uh, a man was told by his friend, he said, I think you married Mrs. Wright. He said, well, I didn't know her first name was always. <laughs> How many of you know marriage was made in heaven and someone said so thunder and lightning? Um, in 2005, the Guinness Book of World Records said that Percy and Florence Aerosmith held two records, the longest marriage of a living couple over 80 years and having the largest married couple's aggregate age, uh, 205 years. So they're both well over 100 years. So both Mr. and Mrs. Aerosmith have since died, and, but they left us some good advice for a lasting marriage. Now, this is what Florence said. She gave us the advice, you must never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you need to make it up. Never be afraid to say your sorrow. Now, Percy had a slightly different view of uh, marriage uh, information and some um, advice. He said the secret to a long marriage is just two words. You just say, yes, dear. <laughs> How many of you know Percy was a wise man? That's how he lived to be over 105 years old. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John 4. That's where we're going to start today. And um, if you're sitting by your uh, significant other today, if you're by your husband or your wife or your soon-to-be, then I want you to listen to this because this is probably not where you think we would start. This is the story of the woman at the well. Now let me set it up. Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. Now, the Samaritans, the, the Jews thought they were kind of a half-breed. They had married outside the Jewish race. They had married some people from the northern uh, part of that area. They had intermixed through the conquest and the, the area of the Assyrians, the Babylonians. So the Jews thought they were kind of a mongrel breed, that their worship was a little bit different. They didn't uphold the strict Jewish laws. So Jesus said, I need to go through, through Samaria. So he goes to a place called Sychar. It's a small town. This is where Jacob's well is. And it's noon. Everybody say noon. And the, the women gather water from the well for their daily activities, for dinner, for breakfast, uh, for the evening time, for uh, hygiene, washing, different things. Most of the time, the women came to the well in the morning and the evenings. That's the two times they would come uh, to the well. They would not come in the middle of the day because it's hot, and they would need the water for the morning uh, things that they would need and the evening things they would need. This woman 
comes to the well at noon, at 12. Now Jesus is there. He's sitting at Jacob's well. He has sent the disciples to go find something to eat. So that sets the stage. And when Jesus is there, he asks the woman for a drink. And the woman, verse 9, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, would ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons, and his livestock? Jesus answered, said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband, in that you have spoken truly, are you well said. Now, obviously there's a lot of dialogue here, but the question is, why does Jesus question her about her marriage and husband? I think there's an answer to this. This woman has been married five times, she's shacking up with somebody now, and she's gone through relationship, relationship, relationship. Now notice something in the conversation. There's three things that come up that's very interesting. The three things that come up, number one is worship. Two is salvation. The third thing's God. Say that with me. Worship, salvation, and God. So when we ended reading here, worship, salvation, and God comes up later in the dialogue and the conversation. This is what I want you to understand. Jesus is saying, bring me your husband. How many of you know Jesus knew she did not have a husband at the time? He knew that she had had five husbands. This information she had not divulged. He is reading her mail. How many of you ever had God read your mail? God will read your mail. So he's reading her mail. And there are things in your life and my life. Listen closely that a woman or a man cannot fulfill. There are things in your life and my life that a woman or a man cannot fulfill. If you're looking for that to be fulfilled in a woman or a man, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment and disillusionment. You and I, you've heard this many times, we have a God-shaped vacuum or hole in our life and our heart that only God can fulfill. Could it be this woman is going from relationship to relationship to relationship looking for a man to fulfill her needs when a man cannot fulfill all of her needs? And she has set herself up for disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. She's in another relationship. And Jesus comes along and they begin to talk about worship. They begin to talk about salvation. They begin to talk about God. In the culture we live in today, we think that those relationships are going to fulfill all of our needs. And let me tell you something, they will not. Your husband, ma'am, will not fulfill all your needs. Sir, your wife will not fulfill all of your needs. Two things that Carrie has said to me. Number one, she said, Mike, I've quit trying to change you. Now, my answer was, why would you want to change me? Okay. Some of you get that on the way home. And she said, I'm going to quit trying to change you because I can't change you. I'm going to pray that God would change you. 
The second thing she said, you cannot make me happy. Now, I'm going to try to make her happy. I'm going to do my best to make her happy. But this is what she's saying. Happiness cannot always come from you. I've got to find my happiness in who I am, my identity, and from God. So it is not right for me to expect you to make me totally happy. If that's your view, I, I, I don't want to disappoint you. But you're looking for something you're never going to get from a spouse. There are certain things in your life and my life that Carrie is not going to fulfill all the needs in my life. I'm not going to fulfill all the needs in her life. But we should fulfill the needs that we can fulfill instead of having this vicious cycle. Some of you may be in a cycle. You're up, you're down. You're friendly, and, and, and then you're hollering at each other. I didn't say this in the early service, but John Maxwell said, why didn't somebody invent a sweet spray? When somebody's that way, you just go up and spray them. And, and all of a sudden, their, their whole attitude and their demeanor changes. Somebody needs to invent that. Anybody know anybody you'd spray? Sitting close to you? Y'all are so holy. I tell you what, that first service was really quiet. I don't know why. I mean, I, I really did good. But after five marriages, this woman still has needs in her life, and they're not being fulfilled. And Jesus comes along, and he says, listen, this is about worship. This is about salvation. This is about God. You're never going to find all your needs met in a man. I mean, sometimes we go through life, we're like olive oil. A man. Is it going to be Brutus? Is it going to be Popeye? Is it going to be, you know, this, this, this? Listen, your needs are going to be met in God, but we are also needed to have that type of relationship. And sometimes we're looking for somebody else to fulfill that void, and it's not going to happen. And we're setting somebody up for failure. And we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure. Only God can meet our deepest needs. Can I hear an amen? So, Tina, what has love got to do with it? It's just a secondhand emotion. But let me read you some verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. The word love appears in about 300 times in your Bible, 280 verses. And this, this word appears over and over. It's huge. It's big. The, uh, the Hebrew word for love is uh, ahav or ahava. It's almost like I, I need to ahava you, you know. <laughs> okay, that's silly. <laughs> Another word for love means merciful and graceful, but the Greeks had unique words for love that we don't have. And I'm going to point this out to you. This is what we say in America. I love my wife. I love my children. I love hot dogs. I love my dog. I love sports. See how that kind of gets weird? But we know there's different phases of love and different depths of love in that. But the Greeks communicated in a different way in their language. Now, some of these words appear in your Bible, some don't. But... The, the words that they used was storge or storge, uh, philia, eros, and agape. So let's look at those because each one is a little bit different. So storge is family love or familial love. It's love for our mother and our father. It's love for our brothers, sisters, love for our children, love for our grandchildren. And, and Carrie and I understand that. You know, we had a new grandbaby uh, back in uh, June. And so, you know, just as soon as we saw her, we were in love with her. We had storge. 
And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You just have that love for your family. You saw that baby, you love them. You saw the grandbaby, you love them almost like even more. It's what you get for not killing your kids. So, you know, you get grandchildren. So storge is, you know, that love for family. Philia, or philia, is the word that we have for brotherly love or love in friendship. Um, philos, it, it's different terms of that word, and that's why they named Philadelphia, Philadelphia. It's the city of what? Brotherly love. So the name explains that. Then there's eros, where we get erotic love or sexual love uh, between a husband and a wife, and it should be contained in that. Outside of that, it's not biblical, and it's romantic love. So there's nothing wrong with that. It just has to be in the right containment, the right place, right? And then there's agape love, which is the God kind of love, and many of you know that. It's sacrificial, it's forgiving, unconditional, it's actional or proactive, and it's unmerited. Now, all those forms of love are good, but if you just have the first three, and I want you to note this, the first three can be conditional. The first three can be conditional. And the first three can be emotional. Conditional and emotional. Now, I want you to really listen to me. Because this is what I know about your marriage, my marriage, your relationship, my relationship. There are times in your life that you don't have the right conditions you think you should have, nor do you have the right emotions. And I illustrate this many times in counseling and with other couples because I think it's true. Have you ever sat down on the couch, you're sitting in a chair, you fold your leg up underneath you, you're watching a movie, you're watching television, and you got up to go to the kitchen or the bathroom, and all of a sudden, we, we call it, my leg went to sleep. How many of you felt that sensation? And, and you have no feeling, maybe a little bit tingling, and you're going to the kitchen, you're walking like Chester in Gunsmoke. And some of you don't even know who that is, and that's sick. Okay? And so you're limping to the bathroom, you're limping to the kitchen, and when you get to the kitchen, this is what you don't do. You don't take the butcher knife and lop off your leg because you say, I've lost my feeling. But marriages, this is what we do. Well, I've lost my feelings. I've lost my emotions for you. Well, honey, emotions will come and they will go. They're going to come and they're going to go. Let me tell you something else Carrie said to me. Leave me alone. I love you, but right now I don't like you very much. Y'all are so holy. How many of you have ever had intense fellowship? Okay. When you have that, your feelings are going to be here. Your emotions are going to be there. The conditions are going to be there. So those first three can be conditional. They can be emotional, and many relationships are only based on the conditional and the emotional. If the conditions are right, the emotions are right, everything's good. But see, agape takes it to another level. I love you even though I don't feel like it now. I love you even though the conditions are not right now. I love you because this is an unmerited, this is a godly, forgiving kind of love. It is beyond me. It gets into the spiritual realm. It gets into the godly realm. And the Bible says that we can have that kind of love. We can have that kind of agape love. Now, the world, the culture, they're into conditional. They're into emotional. That's why so many of the stars and the musicians and the singers, you know what they do? They're like the woman at the well. They go from one relationship to another, to another, to another, because 
because they're looking for something that that person cannot provide for them because you have a God-shaped void in your life that only God can fill. Can I hear any man? So in our relationships, we have to take all those forms of love. We do want to have family love. We want to love our parents. We want to love our brothers and sisters. We want to love the aunts and uncles except the weird ones. We, we want to love all of them, right? We want to love that familia, the family. We want to have that storge. We want to have that that, that philos love, that philia love. We want to have friendships, brothers, sisters, companions, friends. We want to have the erotic kind of love, the sensual, the sexual love. All those were created by God. But they have to be in the right place at the right form, in the right relationship, and we have to elevate those with the agape love because conditions and emotions will come and they will go. And you can count on that. So our marriages must be based on commitment and covenant, not on condition and emotions. That's worth the price of admission this morning. So our marriages have to be based on commitment and covenant and not on conditions and emotions. Because when Carrie and I stood there, and let me tell you, I understand it now. I'm not for sure if I understand it quite back then when I was 21 years old. When I said, I do, and I vow before God and you and family and friends, listen, this is not a 90-day option. This is a covenant agreement before Almighty God. So we have covenanted together, and when we covenant and we commit, we know emotion is going to come and go. Situation is going to change. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. One of the hardest things Carrie and I ever did in our marriage was raise a handicapped child. I'm telling you, it was up, it was down, it was, it was horrible, there was storms, but you know what? We weathered that. Matter of fact, we, we had so many people come to us and counselors and people who were professionals and says, we're amazed that you're still married because most marriages don't survive this. Well, that's why when conditions and emotions are not good, you better have some agape, baby. You better have some agape, baby. Because you need to take love to a whole nother level. Because if you don't, it's not going to be what you think it should be. And it will not last and won't stay. How many of you know God wants your marriage to work? I don't know of anybody who stood at the altar and said, I don't want this to work. I think everybody who stood at the altar said, I want this to work. Or you wouldn't have been there. Now, Genesis 2, turn there. And we're going to take two verses. And we're going to close this out with this this morning. This is what we would call the law of first mention. How many of you have ever heard that biblically, the law of first mention? When you, when you see something in the Bible or you read something in the Bible, you know when it mentions first, there's a lot of great things there and it's very important when you read it. So this is the first time we see a reference to wife. It's the first time we have reference to this kind of relationship. It's the first time we have reference to Adam and Eve coming together, God bringing them together. So verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become or they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So two verses ending that chapter. So there's so much in those two verses that we want to glean out of it. So there are some marriage laws, if you will, or some observations here. Leave, cleave, become unashamed intimacy. Say that with me. Leave, cleave, become unashamed intimacy intimacy. So here's the first one. It's the law of priority. The law of priority. A man shall what? Leave his mother and father and shall cleave or cling to his wife. 
So he didn't say that we abandon our parents. He didn't say that we quit loving our parents. He didn't say that we, you know, quit providing for our parents or being there for the parents. That, that has nothing to do with it. Because biblical view of relationship in a family, how many of you know the Bible says, he that does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel and denied the faith. So we, we have an obligation to our family. I have an obligation to my family. You don't necessarily have an obligation to my family, but I have one. Now, you can help if you want, but my obligation to my family is mine. So, when we look at this, this is what God is saying. Adam, I'm going to set a precedent here with you, and I'm going to proclaim this. When a man joins to his wife, she now becomes the first priority in his life. Now, when I say first priority, let me back up a minute. The first relationship that Adam ever had was with who? With God. Okay, that's number one. The second relationship he had was with who? His wife, Eve. The third relationship he had was with his children. So with God, his wife, and his children. How many know that's priority? So I didn't make that up. You didn't make that up. This is this priority of the Word of God. Folks, I want to tell you something. God's ways work. You get it wrong, it doesn't work very well. So the first relationship he ever had was with God. The second relationship he had was with his wife. And, and God took Eve out of his side. And then the third relationship was with his children. Now, let's talk about this law of priority. A man shall leave his father and mother. His wife now has become his number one priority in this relationship. And her husband now has become her number one priority. So what do we prioritize? Our time, our energy, our availability, because it takes time, it takes energy, you have to be available. If you don't, it doesn't work right. Something that, that Carrie and I had to go through is that I had to reprioritize our marriage. And, and I still struggle with that. So I'm going to be very transparent with you today. Uh, so don't throw anything at me. Um, be very transparent with you. L let me tell you the straw that broke the camel's back. We were trying to have dinner. The boys were still at home at the time. And our phone would ring all the time. And I would have people say, well, you know, I only call you, you know, once or twice a year. We'll multiply that by a thousand or so. Now, that didn't mean you can't call me. But it just means that I had to prioritize and begin to prioritize a lot. So we're, we're, we're at the table eating. The phone rings. And Carrie gets the phone. And she said, it's for you. I said, who is it? She said, it's a prisoner at the jail. So I talked to the person, tried to help them best I can. And then she looks at me and she said, is our number written on the wall of the payphone in the prison? <laughs> and I said, I'm not for sure. It may be. And so what we did, we unlisted our phone. We didn't change our number, but we unlisted our phone. Because we couldn't sometimes even eat. And sometimes when we'd go out, you know, I felt obligated to, to meet people and greet people. People would come to our table. And this is what Aaron said one time to his mother. Can we go somewhere and eat where no one knows daddy? And, and, and we, we would go out of town. So we unlisted our number. And then people come to me and they said, Pastor Mike, do you know your phone number's not in the phone book anymore? I said, really? <laughs> really? So we had, to, we had to begin to reprioritize. And... There was a time when Carrie came to me, and this is what she said. This is honest, the truth. She said, Mike, the church is the other woman. Because we spent so much time trying to build the church, not only numerically, spiritually, physically, that 
I work seven days a week. I'm not proud telling you this, and I still have to watch it today. How many of you know that's unbiblical? But I work for years seven days a week. Saturdays, y'all make me work on Sunday. I don't know what's up with that. But I work seven days a week for years and for years. And I begin to have to say, I've got to do things differently. And in the last uh, about a year or so, uh, I've tried to take Fridays off. And you say, well, you're, you're, you're shortchanging us. Well, listen, honey, about Wednesday or Thursday, I got my 40 in. How about you? So the thing about it is this. We have to say, I'm going to prioritize you. And there's God. And then, now there's you. And now you have to become number one over, and hang on, over golfing and fishing and ladies shopping <laughs> and being with your friends and work. And not that we don't have to work because we do have to work because making them number one work is a part of the process, right? I mean, we have to be providers. But we also have to fit that in in a way that it doesn't damage the relationship. So we have to say, okay, you're, you're my priority. Outside of God, now this is the first priority of my life. I have to prioritize her over my children. Now some of you are going to gag a little bit, so just cough it up. This is biblical. Let me qualify that. Before you ever became a mom or a dad, you were a lover and a wife or a husband. Before you ever became a mom or dad, you were a lover, a wife, you were a lover and a husband. And the kids are a product of that relationship. And now you and I should be exampling what a real marriage is to those kids coming up. Because one day they're probably going to get married and they need to have a good model of what a good marriage is. And they need to know the right priority. Does it mean that we don't love our kids or they're not at the right place? Absolutely not. Should we prioritize our kid? Absolutely. But not over your relationship. Because this is what I know. When kids come into the picture, it brings a strain on the relationship. Sometimes moms and wives turn their attention to their children and husbands feel neglected. And sometimes, you know, husbands turn their attention to work or sports or hobbies and the wife feels neglected. This should be a mutual admiration society. We want to give the kids everything that we can give them. We want to be a good example. We want to give providers, spiritual, physical. But let me tell you, somewhere around 18, 19, 20, 21, or 35, they're leaving home. <laughs> right? Okay, this is something that happens a lot. When the kids leave, a lot of people get divorced because the only thing that was tying them together was the kids, and now the kids are gone. What happened? From marriage to the end of the kids leaving, they lost priority, they lost focus, and now the focus was on the kids, and then the kids left, and they look at each other, and this is what they're saying, we don't have anything in common anymore. I don't have any feelings towards you. I don't have any emotions towards you. So we have to be careful. Because now the husband feels neglected, the wife feels neglected, and we have to get through that. And listen, I know there's a lot of time. You feel like, you know, it's costing me a lot of money because it is, right? They're going to college. But this is what Carrie and I found out. That when our kids left home, we had a lot more time for each other and had more money. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, not when they were in college, but once they got out... 
we had more time, we had more money for each other, and we began to see things and do things more than we have ever had before. So we need to show them how to relate to each other. We need to show them the priority, and we want to make sure that we get it right ourselves. Here's the second thing. The law of cleaving. Say that with me. The law of cleaving. Now, here's the word cleaving in your Bible. So what does that mean? It means to cling, to stick, to stay close, to pursue. How many of you, when you were dating, were pursuing someone? I was. Do, do you know, I'm going to say this, okay. Do you know I would drive for two hours sometimes to spend an hour with Carrie and drive two hours to go back? I did. I did it time and time again. I was pursuing her. I was trying to cling to her. I wanted to be sticky. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to cleave to her. And, and we dated for four years. I didn't say 40, four years. And, and we got married. And, and here's the question. Are you still trying to cling to? Are you still trying to cleave to? Are you still trying to pursue your mate? You should be. When you were dating, you were pursuing them. Have you quit? Have you quit, you know, doing that? Well, I got them and they're mine now. Woo-woo. Well, listen, we still need to be pursuing. We still need to be clinging. Are we still dating? Are we still clinging? Here's the third one. i got to hurry. The law of becoming. The law of becoming. Um, are you attempting to become better in your marriage? What have you done lately to become better? This is what I found out. Your communication skills can get better. Your, your, um, your relationship can get better. Here's what I've learned. I've learned where the landmines are. <laughs> Anybody else learn where the landmines are? This is what your Bible says. It says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. How many of you have ever read that in the Bible? You need to live with your wife. You need to dwell with your, your wives according to knowledge. The knowledge of what? The knowledge of knowing what not to do. That's what it is. The knowledge of knowing what to do. Be because this is important. Why would you want to blow up the landmine when you know where it's at? Save yourself some trouble, Bubba. Avoid the landmine. I, I remember one time, and I I've shared this several times, we were driving home. Matt was probably maybe sixth, seventh grade. And he said, I invited somebody to come home, spend the night with me, and eat supper. I said, really? I said, did you tell your mama? He said, no. I said, not a good deal, young Jedi. That's what I told him. I said, you don't, you don't bring kids home and say they're spending the night and eating dinner until you prove it with your mother first. I, I'm glad Carrie didn't claw me when she saw this picture up here on the, on the screen because I didn't get that pre-approved. And, and I avoided a landmine. But, but you know... You know what sets them off. Ma'am, you know what sets them off. Why are you going there when you know it's going to go... Save yourself from trouble. Because we're dwelling with them according to knowledge. So we are in the law of becoming. We are still growing. We're still learning. And you say, well, I've been married for 45 years. I know everything about here, her, him. No, you don't. Because they're going to throw you a curve that's going to smack you up right side of the face, Bubba. 
And ma'am, he's going to go off on something you thought was, a, was an easy deal. And I'm just telling you, that's just what it is. So, so God has said, okay, Adam and Eve, he, here's two verses. This is going to kind of mandate your marriage. Remember, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So God set the precedent here. Not mine, not yours. It's just what God said. He said, a man and woman shall be coming together. They should become one flesh. Become. Become. Not they are, but they're what? Becoming one flesh. Now, here, here's the fourth one, and I'll, I'll hurry up. The law of unashamed intimacy. The law of unashamed intimacy. They were naked and unashamed. Say that with me. They were naked and unashamed. So there are certain needs we have. Intimacy is one of them. Unashamed intimacy looks different for a man than a woman sees it. And a man sees it different than a woman, a woman than, different than a man. Both men and women have unconditional needs for love and acceptance. Every man, every woman has unconditional needs for love and acceptance. So let's go back where we started. But where do we get most of that unconditional love and acceptance? From God. So let's go back. If you're looking for him or her to give you all of that unconditional love and acceptance, you're looking in the wrong place. Because he can't supply it all. She can't supply it all. So you can go off on him, but honey, it's just a trip around and around and around and around. Insanity's trying to get the same old thing from the wrong person. So most of that comes from God. But we should be giving each other the needs we have, and men and women are very different. So let's look at men very quickly. Men, they need honor and respect. They're created in the image of God, and guess what? God wants honor. He wants respect. He said one time to the minor prophets, he said, if I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your if I'm your father, where's my honor? Men need honor. They need respect. They need sexual intimacy and affection. Sexual intimacy and affection. They need friendship and companionship. They need encouragement and affirmation. So ladies, sometimes you have to get out of your world, get into his world. I don't know what his world is. It may be uh, sitting in a deer stand. It may be golfing. maybe may be fishing. Could, could be working on the car. Um, get into his world. Sir, you need to get in her world every once in a while. Does she love to quilt? She loved to shop? She has a hobby? Um, does she love to go to the mall? And you say, Pastor, do I need to go to the mall with her? Yes. You can sit on the bench by me out in front. <laughs> the driver there, act like you enjoy it and go out to eat. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> so you got to get into her world. She's got to get into your world. And that's part of it. Women. This is what women need. They need emotional intimacy, security, and communication. They need emotional intimacy, security, and communication. A woman needs more communication usually than a man needs. Not always, but usually the woman wants more communication than the man. Um, I read this the other day, and, and, and you know, the numbers are pretty true. They said a woman will speak about 30,000 words in a certain period of time that a man will speak 15, half as much. And this is what the woman said. Well, the reason we speak twice as much is because we have to repeat it to you twice. <laughs> and the guy she said that to said, huh? <laughs> Carrie's done that. She said, I've already told you that. I said, really? When would you tell me that? Okay, let's vote. Guys, how many of you ever said that? When did you tell me that? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all kind of guilty of that, aren't we? So... The women want communication. They need communication more than a man. And sometimes I come home and Carrie says, how was your day? And I said, it's all right. 
And, so, and she says, just all right. You know what she's wanting? Tell me about your day. I, I, I want to know about your day. Because that's what women need. They, they need emotional intimacy, security, communication. They need encouragement, affirmation. Why? Because how many of you know, the older we get, we change. Gravity does this deal. And Chuck, I wasn't trying to be offensive this morning, but I said most men have the Dunlap disease. Our chest is Dunlapped to our belly. What's the deal? Because things change. And if you're looking to say she's going to stay the same for the entirety of our marriage, you have false reality. Now, she can still be good. She can still be lovely. I tell Carrie she's the prettiest girl that I know. I tell her this almost every day, several times without fail. Have I told you lately how beautiful you are? You know what her answer is every time? No. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I'll probably do it again today. I said, have I told you how beautiful you are? She'll say no. And sometimes in the morning when we get up, I'll say, have you told... Have I told you how beautiful you are? She says, I know you're lying now. <laughs> and I said, no, no, really. I mean, I really believe that. So we, we need to give that affirmation, that encouragement, because guys, we're the same way. Because the older you get, your body changes. And, you know, we want to still be looked at as we're desirable. Now, I know some of you young stud muffins here, you, you think that you're always going to look the same. Can I tell you history is replete with you won't. <laughs> I deserve a better amen than that. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger looks horrible today. I'm just kidding. I mean, he probably looks pretty good. But this law of unashamed intimacy there are needs that we need to try to meet with each other. And we need to fulfill with each other. And, and sometimes you hear things about, well, if that's all he wants. It's not all he wants, but it sure would be good to get it. Okay, you read between the lines. That's okay. Because when you got married, you decided, I'm going to meet this person's needs. This is not all about you. It's not all about me. There are areas that we need to try to meet each other's needs even when it is not the right conditions and even when we don't have the right emotions or feelings. That's why it takes agape love. Has God ever loved you when you didn't deserve it? That's the only reason you got saved. God loved you when you didn't deserve it. Should you love your spouse even when they don't deserve it? Well, if you've got agape love, you should. This is so important. It is the basic building block of all societies. It's the basic building block of the church. Because Jesus compared his union with the church as a marriage. He said, I'll be the bridegroom, and you be the bride. Boy, this is important, isn't it? Amen. A lot of hurting, hurting people. Marriage can even be heaven or it can be hell. You decide which one it's going to be. I want you to bow your head with me. 
are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.